Judge Me, the show about the law in real life. I'm Baby He Mepa, joined by my co-host, Joe Faba. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's it going? Good. And Andy Leonetti today. Hi, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving, just in time for the other holidays, including Festivus. We are talking about (laughs) none other than airline grievances. That is more more appropriate. Thank you. (laughs) Andy, as the resident Seinfeld fangirl, I know you are ready to channel your best 90s SNL Jerry with the airline rants and the airing of grievances. (laughs) SNL Jerry, what, does that does that just mean like an impression? SNL Jerry, the what's the deal with airline food? When he was hosted, when he was hosting, okay, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Regardless, I know all of y'all have been waiting for this one. I certainly have, as a frequent flyer of the country's trashiest airline. Well, it really does. It really does truly unite all Americans. <laughs> That's true. We can all agree how unpleasant it is to fly. Yeah, yeah. Some, some are worse than others. I am nothing if not a garbage human and a sucker for a bargain. So I'll keep flying the budget airlines, but keep complaining when they pull their shenanigans on me with complete lack of customer service department or a phone number. And my friends will remind me that I asked for this. <laughs> and it's true. Are we talking spirit true. airlines here? Uh, and frontier, and frontier, and frontier. But honestly, this all of them will pull things on us, right? Like again, so it's just a relative scale of which ones are worse than others. They got denied in their in their attempt to merge into the world's crappiest airline, Spirit and <laughs> oh, Frontier. Spirit and Frontier, yeah, tried out? yeah, they did. They attempted, and oh. the, and the, they were like, "We're gonna join forces and become <laughs> even worse." Um, and- what would they call themselves? <laughs> Bullshit. Oh, <man>. yeah. <laughs> I guess we have to bleep that out now. Just- but that's exactly what I was thinking too, Andy. Thanks for saying it for me. <laughs> um, so the, the short end of it is that only a few of us can successfully sue an airline. For the mm-hmm. rest of us, We can only have an airing of grievances. And that is because of how contract law works. So I guess we're going to go back to first year of law school for a second, where we learned the essentials of contract law. Ready for this, Joe? Yay, offer and acceptance. Oh, my gosh. What I didn't know until today was that apparently you're an even bigger Lord of the Rings nerd than Laura, which I didn't think was possible. (laughs) (laughs) So I bring this up because my contracts professor... In law school was not a JD, but like a classics and Roman law PhD. Shout out to the brilliant Bruce Fryer at Michigan. And one of the contracts that we briefly analyzed on our first day of class was the contract that Thorin and company entered into for employing Bilbo as their burglar. I love it. In retrieving the Arkenstone. I love it. (laughs) And I bring this up because for all you nerds out there, that was a bad example. They actually did overkill because it was written, written contract, Bilbo and Thorin signed it. Andy, you're rolling your eyes. I see you. And it was witnessed by Balin. So way to go, Tolkien. None I mean, of this Tolkien, was Tolkien was such a <laughs> dork and perfectionist that 
it does make sense that he would go like <laughs> overboard with the accuracy. Yeah, instead instead of like hoping. drawing up just a Middle Earth contract, fake Middle Earth contract law that he can just hand wave away whenever True. someone asks a maybe, too detailed of a question. <laughs> maybe you do need all these components in Middle Earth, but in the U.S., literally, all they had to do was Thorin be like. Yo Baggins, be my burglar. I'll give you one fourteenth of the profits. And Bilbo will be like, word. That's all it takes in the U.S. Um, <laughs> you don't need any of these components. You don't have, has, doesn't have to be written, doesn't have to be signed, definitely doesn't have to be witnessed uh, under U.S. law. So what do you need for a contract? Joe, you, you alluded to it earlier, some of the, some of the components. Well, offer for an contracts. acceptance. And then I will say that there are some... Uh, not and? not good things with Bilbo's contract, um, <laughs> which we can get in. Oh, I don't yeah. know though, but, but that this might lose all of our audience, so <laughs> we don't have to get into it. But I could just say that we'll definitely lose Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not my mother. My mother. My mother <laughs> is, a, is a is uh, a Middle Earth uh, resident. <laughs> all right, resident. Um, yeah. So Joe, you mentioned two out of the three necessary components being offer and acceptance. Um, those are both relatively straightforward, like keeping in mind that there has to be what's sometimes called a meeting of the minds, which basically is just emphasizing that what is offered has to be what is accepted. So if someone had a misunderstanding about what is offered or didn't hear right, or if you're trying to trick someone by misrepresenting yourself, or if you're trying to get them drunk so that they're more amenable to signing your offer, basically taking advantage of them by means that are deemed unfair play, then there isn't a meeting of the minds. So in other words, the acceptance has to mirror the offer. Otherwise, it's not an acceptance, but actually just a counteroffer. And the original offer is considered rejected. So that has to happen, and the acceptance has to be unambiguous. But it doesn't have to be expressed through, like, a signing, as I alluded to earlier. Um, and remember, contracts don't have to be written agreements at all, let alone signed. The offer and acceptance can both be verbal or the acceptance can be made via what's called performance. In other words, you can just do the thing that they asked of you. So if the offer is something like $1,000 for lost kitten and you don't do anything, like you don't say anything, but you just go find the kitten and deliver it to the person without signing anything or anything, like that's considered sufficient for offer and acceptance, and that's enough to hold the person who put out the kitten ad accountable. They're bound by contract at that point. Now, a third component that is required of contracts apart from offer and acceptance is, and something that you might, that folks might be less familiar with, is what it's called consideration in contract law. So you need consideration to constitute a legally binding offer. And consideration is something of value that's promised in exchange for something else. So this could take the form of money, like the $1,000 in return for Lost Kitten, but it can also take the form of goods in exchange, a service, a return effort, or a promise to do something or not do something. You just, it can take whatever form, but you need this thing of value called consideration in order for 
it to be a contract and not just a gift. A gift is just a transfer of property or services or money from one person to another without something promised in return. And thus, if you fail to follow through on a gift, well, tough, because you can't enforce gifts because they're not contracts, because there's no consideration. And why am I bringing all this up? Well, it's because in the context of an airline suit, whether or not you can successfully sue an airline is often going to turn on whether or not you can find them legally in breach of contract, which is harder to do than you might think. A lot of fine print. A lot of fine print, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the most common reasons you would want to sue an airline for like cancellations or delays are often like impossible because they don't constitute a breach of contract. You want to get into some of that now, Andy? Yeah. The things that a lot of people think are some sort of like breach of contract, they aren't like a cancellation because of almost any reason. Um, airline (laughs) airlines are allowed to cancel and this is uh, irrespective of things like weather, like weather or yeah. a bomb going off at an airport or something or like something like that that forces an airline to not be able to fly. They can they have broad leeway to cancel and heavily delay adjust schedules, that kind of stuff. There are limits on what they have to do in terms of like compensating you for it, but if an airline cancels your flight and they comply with their legal requirements to provide uh, either give you a refund if you do not intend to fly again and that's not good enough for you, well, sorry. Um, They also aren't required to rebook you. They aren't required to, um, like, endorse your ticket to another airline. Um, They don't have to provide you with a hotel. They do this because they don't want hundreds of thousands of people lighting up their customer service phone lines and making their uh, desk workers jobs already way more miserable than they already are having to deal with us, (laughs) especially, especially on a hot as, as Thanksgiving approaches. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you mentioned the fine print and if you, if you read the fine print, most airlines policies have, something like they reserve the right to delay, reschedule, mm-hmm. or cancel flights. And and that's kosher under the FAA and whatever federal policies they have to comply with. Right, Andy? That is exactly correct. Um, they have to, they have requirements for compensation if you are denied, if you are bumped, denied boarding because you're bumped, because airline, because we all know, especially this time of year with uh, holiday travel approaching, airlines want full flights, so they will overbook mm-hmm. they will overbook flights and yeah. they can bump people depending on certain non-discriminatory criteria they are if they bump you they are required to give you compensation for it so if they don't give, that that's federal uh regulations not in not in the ticket contract but they can bump you so sorry <laughs> <laughs> and the requirements for like lodging you or, you know, getting you rebooked on another airline. Are they accountable for any of these things necessarily under law? No, no, they do yeah. not have to put you in a hotel. They, they yeah. put you in a hotel. I've been put up in a hotel by an airline before, which was nice. It was, it was, but they, they could have made me lay on the ground at the airport all night if they wanted to. Which I'm sure, 
I've done, which I'm sure all of us have at some point, right? Had that. Hopefully <laughs> none of us were pulling a Tom Hanks in Terminal, <laughs> eating some ketchup, mustard, and relish sandwiches on salt no. because they were trapped in an airport overnight. Um, but I, yeah, we've, we've been there because I have tried to, you know, again, airlines don't have to do this. They do it as a matter of like customer service, good policy. They're not required to do this. So, so the budget airlines like Spirit and Frontier straight up just like won't do this. And even like the legit airlines like uh, American uh, United will do it if it's canceled for certain reasons. If it's canceled under uh, under reasons like weather or purportedly canceled for weather-related reasons, even though it looks like it's a bright, sunny day where I'm taking off from and landing, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which yeah. has happened to oh, me, yeah. they can allege that it's weather-related and there's no oversight or accountability for them to like actually back that up with evidence. But if they allege that it's weather-related cancellations, and then, then they are definitely not obligated to put you up in a hotel. That's correct. And this brings us to the point of contract remedies. So, you know, what if if you can bring something up, like an, an issue with an airline, what are they obligated to do for you? Um, generally, courts prefer monetary damages as a remedy for breach of contract. And th- this is also known as compensatory damages. That will not that will not be resolved in the 15 minutes you spend at the service desk yelling <laughs> exactly. at someone at the airport. Exactly. <laughs> just, just so we're clear. Well, I was I was going to get into that. Right. So. Um, so. Monetary damages are calculated based on like actual losses you've sustained as a result of the breach of contract. So these monetary damages are favored over what's known as specific performance, which is where the court orders the party who breached the contract to actually perform its promise as closely as possible. And the loser of the breach will often want the remedy of specific performance because monetary damages are somehow inadequate to fix the harm. For example, in the case of, you know, there have been so many cases of people who had weddings Mm -hmm. scheduled where the airline caused them to miss their own wedding or there was um, a case from last year where the bride, where Southwest had the entire family's flights canceled and the entire family missed the bride's wedding. In that (laughs) case, like, it's not going to be enough for the airline to just give you money, like ideally you'd want them to just specifically perform by getting your family to your wedding. And to your point, Andy, like given the tight timeline on flights, it's impractical to get a court to order the airline to specifically perform their promise of getting you somewhere in time for the event. Because of course, court processes take time, even with expedited injunctions, you're not going to get a court to turn around and order the airline to do what it promised in time to make your wedding. That's just the reality. So the end result is you will be SOL. And all you can end up getting is some amount of money that the courts deem adequate to make you whole. We almost got kicked off of uh, inter-island flight in Hawaii. They wanted to split up me and my new wife because they oh were gosh. overbooked. And so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't yell and scream, but I was like literally begging i'm like no this is this is our honeymoon like don't split us up please and eventually one of the passengers saved us but yeah the airline was under no obligation they probably they probably would have just bumped both of you instead <laughs> well i mean we wouldn't obviously like i wasn't be like okay see you later honey i like I'm right go to, you know but i mean we would have gone together but yeah they actually was they they were originally like well why don't you just take the later flight and i was like nah I, I don't think so. <laughs> 
Um, but <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to throw in the personal anecdote there. No, totally. And weirdly enough, the U.S. Department of Transportation actually explicitly says that overbooking and bumping is not an illegal practice. Um, airlines purposely, like as part of their business model, they are they not only do, but are legally allowed to overschedule, overbook flights to a certain extent in order to compensate for no-shows. Yeah, they lose money on no-shows. They lose money on no-shows, but like it, it's, it's a crazy model because airlines technically undercharge all of coach class. They're losing money on anyone who books an economy flight. Uh, ticket. So the whole industry, Good. the whole business model is <laughs> is is so effed up. Well, the the thing is, like people like you and I, like like plebes like me, would literally not be able to afford to fly if they didn't overbook us. Yeah. So in a way, it allows for us to be able to afford flights. But then sometimes when they miscalculate, when they mispredict, people end up yeah. getting bumped. It's legal practice. Airlines are supposed to like before actually bumping someone, they're supposed to ask passengers if they're willing to give up their seat voluntarily in exchange for some amount of compensation. But sometimes no one gives up their seats or not enough people do. And then the bumping is allowed. Yeah. There was a Delta flight where it was an hour flight, an hour long flight. And they, they had to get all the way up to $10,000 cash offers for eight, for eight passengers. Yeah, I don't know what at what point they have to stop offering a certain amount of money. Um, I'm sure there's a cutoff, right? That's what I always put in when when I'm buy when I'm buying a ticket and I get the email that's like your flight's overbooked and they want you to like put in your bid. Basically, I always put oh. in something high just yeah in case because I'm not going to volunteer to get bumped for like a <laughs> right, couple hundred right. bucks. But but I but I put yeah. but I put in like. Five thousand dollars. Sure, if it gets that high. Good luck. <laughs> Has it ever worked? Yeah, I know it's rare. It's it's hard to find breach of contract. It's hard. It, you can't really do it for most delays or cancellations because, again, it's just in the fine print that you probably didn't read. Um, but I just want to make a point that just because something is in the fine print doesn't make it legal or enforceable. Like there are a number of reasons where even if something is in the written or verbal text of a contract, it's still not going to be enforceable. One of those reasons is what's called unconscionability, where it's a provision of a contract that makes it that's so shockingly unfair that the contract can't be allowed to stand as is. But the phrase is as dire as it sounds. And so a cancellation or a delay, even one that leaves you stranded overnight like Tom Hanks, or even if it causes you to miss a wedding that you are literally in, those are those sound extreme to you, but they are not usually enough for it to be deemed shockingly unfair uh, for a contract remedy. And another reason, another case in which a contract won't be enforced is if it's deemed to be legally impossible or impracticable. But again, this isn't what it sounds like. It sounds like, for example, overbooking seats on an airline would qualify because it's literally impossible to have two passengers in the same seat. But that's not what impossibility means in the contract world. So rather impossibilities could be like maybe it's too difficult or too expensive. So um an example is if like a Taiwanese company contracts to sell a ton of boba to a bubble tea company in SF, but then COVID makes their whole production facility shut down. 
then they can get out of their obligation to provide boba mm-hmm. to the tea shop because of impossibility. And for all you bubbleheads out there, you might have noticed that tea shops were selling boba less tea like two years ago because of this exact reason, uh, because pretty much all boba is made and exported in Taiwan. But all this is to say this is this this sort of um, contractual impossibility favors the airlines, not the customer. The airlines can argue, oh, something was impossible because it was too expensive or too impractical. It's not a customer who's able to say, oh, it's impossible for you to sell two different seats, so you, you can't do this practice of bumping. That's not, that's not what impossibility means under contract. Yeah, it's geared toward the, the company that is providing the good or the service and saying, look, I, we just can't do it. We would do it if we could, but... <laughs> This just all seems very doom and gloom for the for the flyer point of view, the customer point of view. Because like, it is. It is. So like <laughs> you might ask, like, in what situations can you successfully sue an airline for breach of contract or otherwise? Spoiler, it's often going to be a class action. If you're on your own, you're probably SOL. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. One great example just made national news uh, last month, the American Airlines lawsuit. AA just settled a class action paying $7.5 million for overcharging customers for baggage fees, which sounds like a lot, but note that they made $1.2 billion in charging those wow. fees, which is significantly more than any other airline that year. So that's totally <laughs> fair, right, AA? I'm taking a trip in a week on uh, Lufthansa, which I hear is very nice, which I hear is very yeah, nice. they have good food too. However, their checked baggage fee... For an overseas flight, is it's $75 per leg. And so this trip, I have a layover each way, come going there and coming back. It would be $150 each way to check a bag. Wow. Oh, for Portugal, right? Yeah. Luckily, you don't need a lot of winter gear. <laughs> no. I, 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 yeah. I'm just, I, I saw that number and my eyes started literally almost watering oh, at man. how obnoxious that is. Oh, yeah, their airline food is good, but not that good. You, not you are no, you are nothing to an airline but a sack of potatoes with like a dollar sign with a dollar sign on it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they're losing money on coach class, so that's where they get you. That's where they get you the baggage fees. AA basically incentivized all their customers to either sign up for their loyalty program and like buy a bunch of buy a bunch of AA flights in order to get points on that their program to qualify for a certain status and or partner with their AA like AA partnered credit cards and in both cases the, the the promise was oh you'll get all these free checked or carry on checked bags all these free checked bags and that was that was the consideration right that's what when it became a contract when AAA was saying oh like either sign up for our partner credit card or sign up for a loyalty program in exchange for free checked bags because they were incentivizing the customer to sign up for a credit card or a loyalty program where they wouldn't have otherwise done so because it's kind of a hassle and. So that's where a contract was found, even when the contract was as simple as not signing anything. It was as simple as the AA airlines speaking over the loudspeaker or um, showing a video that said, oh, you'll get a free checked bag if you sign up for a rewards program. That's all it takes. uh, Putting out a video or just advertising over the intercom of the airline that you'll get free checked bags if you sign up for this, that was enough to constitute 
a contract. And that's why this class action was successful. Well, it settled. So is that a success? Maybe. But like, had it gone to court, it could have been successful under breach of contract because this was now a, a contract where they promised, oh, you'll get free checked bags, even if it was over promotional video in exchange for uh, signing up for this credit card. And then they were charged for the checked bags, which was then a breach of mm-hmm. contract. But it's very specific. It's not only specific, but it's again a co- collective, like class action, which is going to get mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. likely to win rather than you individually bringing suit. Because usually with airlines, you have to show a pattern of repeated action, right? If you show a pattern of re- repeated action where they're um, they have a practice of bumping, of overbooking and bumping people that's more than a single data point of you, or you can show that you were singled out on, on discriminatory grounds like race or something, then you can bring a successful suit, but it's very hard to, to show that as an individual. Before we move on to talk about the, the new thing that's going to make everyone mad, <laughs> I just, I, I th- the word I forgot to use so far is refund, and I just want to make sure... Our listeners are aware that if your flight is canceled for whatever reason and you choose not to travel, you are entitled to a refund. That is a D that is a depart U S department of transportation regulation. Just so we're clear on the DOT website. They also say that you're entitled to a refund. If the airline made a significant schedule change or significantly delays a flight and you choose not to travel. However, DOT then notes that it has not defined what constitutes a significant <laughs> mm-hmm. delay. Very convenient, DOT. DOT determines whether you entitled whether you are entitled to a refund following a significant delay on a case-by-case basis. That means if your flight is significantly delayed, you should still just travel. <laughs> but, yeah, because you're definitely <laughs> risking it otherwise. Especially if yeah. you're going to miss your connection. Because if you book separate flights, not through the same airline, and there's a and there's a connection through separate airlines, then that airline is not entitled, the original airline who canceled you is not entitled to get you to your final destination unless right, you had booked through the yeah. same airline. Yeah, you this are is why I never SOL. Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a bad idea to book connections through different airlines because then you're really screwed. And, you know, we haven't really talked about losing bags or anything, but then you've also got the issues with switching your bag over in planes and that side of things. So, yeah, but that's oh, yeah. also not a reason mm-hmm. to sue. Um, if the airline loses your bag, I don't think you really have any recourse there either. You're entitled to a refund if you paid a baggage fee and your baggage has been declared lost by the airline. Um, you may have a, like, but that that depends on an airline's policy of when your bag is declared officially lost versus like, we're still tracking it. It's just in Kuala Lumpur when you're in Dallas. Um, and you were supposed to, and you were only going to St. Louis. Um, it's if they unreasonably refuse to consider a bag lost, then it could be subject, then DOT could take enforcement action. But, um, okay. Again, that's going to be, this is good. That's going to be a pain. That's going to be a, yeah, (laughs) that's going to be a pain in the butt. And it's a different matter if you want to recover what was actually lost in the bag. So that a lot of that runs on, especially internationally, a lot of that runs on the airline's own internal policy of what we do to compensate for lost valuables yeah. in the baggage. Yeah. 
and they do that, and they do that because, again, like they don't want yeah. hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people lighting them up. They do that as like their own internal policy to appease customers. Or if yeah. your if your bags are um, delayed, like you know, lagging a couple of days behind and you have no clothes to wear. They, they will often reimburse you for uh, buying the necessaries and essentials that you have to then file like a receipt mm-hmm. reimbursement for. I've done this. But again, they're not entitled to under the law because once again, the Federal Aviation Act lets airlines get away with anything. <laughs> and speaking of which, Joe, do you want to tell <laughs> yeah. us the most recent Here we go. <laughs> yeah, no, speaking of... Uh government agencies being vague and delaying things. Uh, A couple years ago now, Congress directed the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, to look at seat size. And I've been flying for a long time, and it's always seemed to me like airline seats were getting smaller. (laughs) But I've also been getting wider, so I wasn't quite sure if oh it was God, all in my head. Credit, yeah, but I wasn't sure how much it was and how much it was me and how much it was them. And it turns out it's both. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> airline seat size have been getting smaller by actually a significant amount. Quite a bit. And not yeah. just yeah. budget ones, huh? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course it is. You know, our favorite target is Spirit Airlines oh, yeah. on this show. And yeah, there. I mean, I, I just took a flight on Spirit and it was... I, I, it was no hard. reclining. Yeah, no, it was, it was uh, not a pleasant flight, but, um, but it's probably a cheap one. Yeah. <laughs> they are, they are, the seats are getting smaller. They're going from like, wow. it was like 22 inches in width to like something under 20, like 19 inches or something, which is smaller than the average size of the typical American passenger. Um, and this is not a, criticism of of Americans weights or anything like that it's just it's a very small seat and it's not just that it's unpleasant it's is it dangerous because you know getting out of a too narrow of a seat can be hard and if you're elderly if you're disabled uh, it can be more than just an inconvenience it can actually be dangerous or you know if you don't have enough room to, or in an evacuation. Or yeah, something. in an evacuation. Or if, um, you know, maybe you have uh, high blood pressure or diabetes or something. And if you can't move your legs, if you have literally no room to move your legs, it can actually be a danger for like blood clots and things like that. So the FAA was supposed to look at this sometime. I think they were directed in 2018. You mean Spirit's advice to people to just wear, just everybody should just wear compression socks? That's, that's not enough. That's not good enough. I'm just kidding. Don't sue us. They didn't say that. You don't need your seats to recline. Just get a neck pillow, y'all. It's that available in the Sky Mall catalog. For the low, low price of 30 bucks a pop. Yeah. If, if Spirit just started selling compression socks for like $15 and we're like, yeah, you're going to need this or you're in trouble. Um, so yeah, the FAA was supposed to take a look at this several years ago. They just got around to it uh, last year. And so they did do one study that said that there was no danger. And so they kept getting smaller seat sizes. But the study was a little bit flawed, according to many uh, advocates who are saying seats are getting too too small and too dangerous. And they didn't test it with people like who 
who were over a certain age or who had certain disabilities. They just basically looked at whether uh, adult healthy people could get out in a reasonable time in an emergency. And so the FAA is taking another look and they actually uh, opened their regulations for public comment that just ended on November 1st. Uh, But several senators have written to the airlines. Several senators asked the public to comment on this because pretty easy political win if you're going to go after the airlines. (laughs) Uh, As you said, it unites us all. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, the, the FAA is still looking into this, but as it stands currently, there is no regulation for how wide seat sizes need to be. And so that's why we're getting more and more crammed into these smaller airlines. Uh, but that may change. We'll see, you know, when when you open up a public, a rule to public comment like the FAA is, they'll, they'll take a look at it. We're still a ways away from any kind of finalized rule. As you can imagine, the overwhelming number of comments were like yeah we need wider seat sizes that was gonna happen (laughs) yeah this sucks hey yeah yeah the faa knows what people want um but it's just a matter of whether they can you know vedi like you said uh airlines do run tight margins and they do they need all the money that they can get to keep operating so the faa is going to take that into account i i don't know that they could get much smaller than they are now the seat sizes lord no and I'm skinny. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to get any bigger, but I, I have a hard time believing that they'll get smaller. So that that's good. And, you know, I've been reading like about like sort of like op-ed blogs for, you know, people who are maybe plus size and they're experience with the airline industry um and 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 with with in lieu of like or sorry in light of this the small seat sizes um there's not like a unifying policy some airlines have like a customer of size policy is what it's called where you can Uh either buy two plane seats next to each other and one will be free um and but other airlines you know require you to bring in paperwork because they've classified obesity as a disability. And there's like a whole process that you have to undergo involving like getting a doctor's note and approval, mm-hmm. which is, can be dehumanizing uh, before you fly. And you have to, you know, show that to the airline before you can get this sort of accommodation. Um, and some airlines, you know, there, there is no policy in place. And so it, it becomes, it, it becomes like a, a difficult, it's already difficult to navigate. And now with the mm-hmm. airline seat sizes getting smaller and smaller, it's only going to be an increasing difficulty for more, more, more people. Yeah. So I've got my fingers crossed that hopefully they'll, they'll make a reasonable regulation for airline seat size. But as of now, airlines are free to try to pack us in as best they can. And uh, we just kind of have to, live with it and go by their rules and maybe buy that extra seat next to us if if that's part of it but yeah i feel like we're drawing close to the end here sure and i want to end this episode on a plea to our listeners (laughs) (laughs) oh boy (laughs) i think that the general like as you're getting mad listening to all this stuff that airlines can do i just want to remind you that you can do not that you can do nothing when you're on the plane no matter how mad you are you will pay you will pay you will pay a heavy price if you act a fool thankful luckily i was just looking this up today as i was researching um that 
uh, I, it was all over the news last year of how many complaints for uh, unruly passengers were f- filed by airlines. Last year's was just like a totally world-shattering record in the U.S. of there were over six thousand reports wow. when uh, for the year it usually averages in the low hundreds in a bad in a bad year before the pandemic. A bad year was like. 200 yeah. or something like that. This year, the pace is much lower. As of as of November 1st, the FAA has only received 2,178 reports of unruly passengers with two months left to go in the year. So that's, that's much lower than last year's pace. And the pace has dropped off a ton since uh, January and February when it was still really bad. That was when people were still getting really mad about wearing masks on planes. and Yeah. And not even for COVID, not even for COVID related reasons, but I, I fly all the time, folks, and I have been seeing more and more people, co-passengers getting um, denied boarding for any reason under the sun. Like if you look, I'm sorry, if you look at a gay agent the wrong way and they don't like how you look at them, they can deny you boarding. Yeah. So don't the, act a the fool trick here. <laughs> don't act a fool. If you're really concerned about getting to your destination on time, don't bring... Don't bring up your grievances until you have landed at your destination. Yeah, yeah. Show up early. Be polite. Yeah, yeah. And and mitigate it afterwards. Yeah, you could. You could spend the night. You could be flying from New York to San Francisco and end up spending the night in a jail in Tulsa or something. If that, if (laughs) you're, if you're playing jail, which is an airline terminal. I've seen a guy go to airport (laughs) jail before. It was. Oh my god. He was. I just have to share this. I guess he was spectacularly drunk at at a uh, at a restaurant, um, and he, um, I managed to avoid him talking to me for like a whole hour. I was like, "Please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me. Please don't talk." Um, but then when he got up to leave, he like stumbled and knocked over a table, and uh, oh, cops wow. came quite quick, and uh, yeah, <laughs> put him in like TSA jail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> I've never even seen this. Another reminder, too, is that gun intercepts at security are going are skyrocketing with the amount as the amount of like first time gun buyers in the last few years has gone up by a lot. So has the amount of a lot of people who do not know what they're supposed to do. You cannot take a gun through security unloaded or loaded. You cannot take a gun through security. Check that bag. You can check it at baggage unloaded. And declare, and you must <laughs> declare it. You must tell the airline that there's a gun in your bag. But under no circumstances can you take a gun through through security. TSA is required to call local law enforcement on you <laughs> if you do. But don't be a fool. Mm-hmm. Don't be a turkey <laughs> this time of year. Get to where get to where you're going safely. And file and your complaints secure- afterwards yeah. so you don't miss Thanksgiving dinner. Yep. <laughs> And that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Find Laws, Don't Judge Me. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for related content. And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at findlawpodcasts at thompsonwinders.com.